Hi, this is Tony Enzer, President and General Manager of your Amarillo Sod Poodles, and you're listening to Tom Talks Baseball. And welcome back to another edition of the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast on KGNCNewsNow.com and 1009TheEagle.com. Our off-season edition of the podcast continues. We're still going strong. Going, going, despite going. the fact that baseball is uh, on a hiatus, <laughs> if you will, uh, right now. Another Sod Poodle Spotlight today. We're having a lot of fun talking about what happened here in 2019 in our uh, great city of Amarillo. I'm Tom Young, joined again by David Lovejoy. How you doing, sir? Hey, how you doing today, Tom? I'm doing very well. Good deal. And I'm very excited to have this guy on. Yeah. This is a guy who you, you we've heard him once before on the podcast, and it was all the way back when we learned that we were going to be the Saw Poodles. Uh, we had him on for a little bit talking about the name and the reveal and all that. And even though you haven't heard him on this podcast, he is a big reason as to why we're able to land a lot of the great interviews with the players and Tony Enzer. Shane Phillips, Public Relations Director uh, and also Baseball Operation Director for the Saw Poodles, Welcome aboard, man. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it for you guys having me here. It's uh, it's good to, to be in the KGNC studios. Good. Yeah, good first deal. first time here in the building. Yeah, it is, yeah. 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 And we're going yeah. through tons of renovation Changes, and stuff yeah. right now. Yeah. We're moving one of our stations over to this side of the building, so we apologize for the mess. Hey, no, re- renovations right. equals you know positive change. There so. you go. There you go. <laughs> well, but before we talk about the sod poodles a little bit, Shane, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you, you've been in the baseball biz for a while, uh, just life growing up. How would you become? I'm a baseball fan. Let's learn learn a little bit more about Shane Phillips a bit. Yeah, uh, you know, growing up, um, I uh, I have two other brothers. I'm I'm actually the unique fact would be I'm a twin. Oh wow, uh, fraternal twin. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So so my brother Sean and then uh, my brother Chad, who's my older brother. So really got into baseball because of my older brother. You know, just watching him play baseball and getting you know, uh, involved with his games and, you know, attending his games and having fun with that. So naturally following a path into, into the, the game of baseball. And, um, you know, from there it was just, uh, a love, you know, and a passion, um, played through college and, uh, didn't get to professional level, uh, called it after I, I you know, finished college academically and playing at the same time. So I said, all right, you know, I'll, I'll take my chances and, you know, call it a, uh, a good time to just start up a career, and um, so where'd you uh, play college at? Because you're from San Diego, right? Yeah, so I'm so. from Southern California, okay. in mm-hmm. town called Temecula. It's about an hour oh, north yeah. of San Diego. Yeah, uh, so I went to uh, Cal Poly Pomona, which is a okay. div- yeah. Division two school. Yes, yeah, uh, we play schools like UCSD, Chico mm-hmm. State, Sonoma State, uh, Cal State LA, and so pretty good conference for yeah. Division two, and mm-hmm. very competitive. A lot of guys getting drafted out of that. Um, and just, uh, you know, growing division. And, uh, so I pitched for two years there. I transferred in, uh, I, I played at a JC before and, uh, um, you know, le- left-handed specialist, I, I call oh, okay. myself. So I, I was so, kind so, of, so a, you had the junk, right? You, yeah. you are a junk pitcher. I, I was, I was a four pitch yeah. pitcher. You know, yeah. I, I threw all my, my pitches for strikes. So mm. I was a guy that come in there for long relief spot start, yeah. uh, you know, come in the later innings to close things out. So, how many times you hit a hundred? Uh, hundred. Oh man! If I was in a hundred, I wouldn't be talking, talking about now. me working on this side of the game. But uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I needless to say, envy uh, left-handed pitchers that yeah. throw ninety-five plus. Yeah, uh, I, I was a uh, I was a pitcher in a uh, you know junior high and high uh, school, and and I was nowhere as close to being a hard thrower. 
but I threw strikes all the time. So umpires love me because the game went faster. Right, right. Batters love me because I threw batting practice. You're grooving, You're <laughs> so, grooving so it the, there. The, the game moved. Nobody walked and no one struck out. It was like old school baseball. The ball was being put in play, and unfortunately, more times than not, it was over a fence. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, I was I was more of a finesse guy. I yeah. I you know I I was a true pitcher where I'd you know be able to spot up where where I wanted and. Uh, you know, I I was more ranging in the mid to higher 80s. It mm-hmm. wasn't anything special, but yeah, I, I I could say I was a guy that I could be relied on. Yeah. Um, so I I enjoyed my path there through it, and you know, growing up, of course, being a professional was always a dream. But um, after finishing that period of my life, uh, I you know I then decided and knew that I wanted to be on this side of the game. Uh, if if it wasn't being playing on the field it was working in baseball in in some capacity and you know coming into this industry i really didn't know what that entailed i didn't know what that meant i didn't know if i was going to like it you know uh and and at first it was a little tough you know i I started in the california league which was nice because it was close to home but starting off you know you're you're especially at the california league level i was with guys uh in the clubhouse that were around my age okay in in the meat of their (laughs) career so it was a little tough because, you know, it was like, ah, oh, I just want to go out there and play catch or go hit BP or do something like that. So it was uh, it was a little tough in the beginning, early transition. But, you know, a mentor of mine, um, Tim Mead, who's actually the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame now, mm. he was a longtime executive with the Angels, which is my hometown team. You know, he gave me really good advice because we're both alumni from Cal Poly Pomona. And he he said, before going into the into the other side of baseball, you need to make sure one thing that you're done playing. You know, if you have that mindset, you know that you're really done with the field aspect, you'll you'll be able to have a nice successful career mentally into the other side of the game because yeah. you know you're around players all day, you're around right. the team all day, you're talking the same language. Mm-hmm. So, that was really big and and um you know, it's just been a, a great path so far. Uh, especially now being here in Amarillo. Well, and and now that the team's here, you know, the interest in baseball has grown in this city, and maybe someone else is kind of like you, and they get to a point in their life, and they're like, I want to be involved in baseball, but not so much on the field. You talk about, you know, having some guidance along the way. Was there any schooling that you did to to get into this field, or is it just a connection-based thing? Like, say I want to work for the Saw Poodles in the future. Is is there something I got to do to be – noticed and to, and to get that foot in the door yeah it is a very specialized industry that's one thing i will say um and in this world especially it's all it's not really what you know it's who you know but i mean it did and this industry is really a hybrid um so i was a i was a pr major i was a communication major with pr emphasis uh at first i didn't know why i declared that i thought it was the <laughs> the the most yeah i kind of always had a knack like on the entertainment side of things too right. maybe you know because it was near la and mm-hmm. all that so i kind of figured that was a good niche for me um but i mean a lot of these programs now are really doing specific sport communication sport management mm-hmm. type majors that would probably be the better route if you have an idea that you want to go into sports because that encompasses all around and then uh and then at that you know the other end of it is is networking is just getting to know people in the industry and my biggest advice to people is get to know their story my what i ask and how i got connected with tim mead is that you know luckily i saw that we were both alum of the same program Mm -hmm. but also i just wanted to know his story how did you start in the industry what was your path like and what was it that made the difference for you and just by introducing yourself on that route and and getting to know just more about them 
it kind of helps shape that path for you a little bit more. It gives you an idea of a direction and, and where to go and who to talk to and how to do things. Well, let's learn a bit about your story. Uh, you, you talked about getting into California League. Well, what organization, what team were you with there? And, and mm-hmm. then how did you start out there? And that ultimately led to you being uh, with the Saw Poodles today. Yeah, it, it's it's a, a cool success story, in my opinion, compared to you know some of these uh, executives that start in baseball. So getting out of college, uh, I moved to Orange County area, uh, like near Anaheim, uh, where the Angels are. And um, I, I always, I knew right off the bat, I wanted to work in baseball, just didn't know how exactly. So I thought, I knew about minor league baseball, but I thought it all trickled down from, you know, if you worked for a major league club, that's when you trickle into the minor league mm-hmm. system. It's not a separate entity. Go figure, you know, after <laughs> three years applying for major league jobs and having interviews and not being able to get mm. a start, I then found out about the baseball winter meetings. So I had graduated college and it wasn't until the 2014 winter meetings that I found out about a job fair for minor league baseball. It was luckily in San Diego, so it wasn't How on convenient, the, right? It wasn't on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. wasn't, you know, in the Midwest. It was in San Diego in my hometown and uh, I went there not knowing a thing. I didn't know what I was going to expect. I didn't know what the jobs were going to be. <laughs> I just said, you know what? If I want a job in baseball, this is what I got to do. Yeah, yeah. And so what I did right off the bat was I registered. I got connected with people that have been to the winter meetings, applied for jobs, worked for teams, and they you know explained the whole process about you know, what minor league life is. And uh, it was there that I talked to the GM at that point of, of High Desert, uh, the High Desert Mavericks, which were the uh, high A affiliate of the Texas Rangers, and they gave me a shot. And uh, that's basically where it all began. Yeah. So, um, yeah, from there, you just start putting in time and, and trying to grow your resume as much as you can. So what were you doing that first season there? Were you like, you know, cleaning the bleachers or, or were you like <laughs> like doing anything like you're doing right now? Like, I, I, was, I was a multi-tool. So it, right. it so happened to be that. So they had hired or brought on a, a radio broadcaster and a media guy. However, you know, it was a tough turnaround with our management where they couldn't lock down a broadcast. They didn't have a broadcast the previous three seasons. Oh, wow. So they had to set up something. I'm not sure what happened exactly with the other management, but something had happened where they had a broadcaster. He was in for, for being their voice, and it turned out that we weren't going to have a broadcast. And so at that point, he said, well, you know, I'm a broadcaster. I want to go somewhere where I can broadcast games. So at that moment, uh, my management, I, I was there technically as sales and really a multi-tool. I told him I was a media specialist. I was PR and at that point, I mean, you know, luckily I was able to swap into that role despite not having a broadcast. Um, I was media relations from there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're in the lower minor leagues, you're, you're doing everything, right. you know, clean right. bleachers, isn't something that's unordinary, right. but, uh, you know, it's anything, you know, the first year I was the official score, media relations contact. I was, uh, ticket sales, season ticket rep, Man. corporate sales. <laughs> I was the on-field MC. Wow. Ended up being like a perfect job to a degree because you got to see just about every aspect of the organization, which I'm sure 
propelled you into better things in the future. Exactly. Uh, like when you uh, ended up going to Colorado Springs, was that was that your next stop after that? So following, uh, I was in High Desert for two seasons, um, and and in sixteen, uh, following sixteen is when High Desert as well as one other team in Bakersfield they were contracted from the league. It was a really a long time coming, I think, for a lot of people, but. Um, so following that, uh, my next step was actually into Reno. Oh, okay. So I went and spent a season in Reno, Nevada, mm-hmm. AAA affiliate of the Diamondbacks. And that's really where I think started my serious path on, on, in this type of position in yeah. PR and media world and baseball. Um, got hired on there as, uh, as their coordinator seasonal role under their communications director and, uh, you know, huge market. I mean, yeah. Biggest little city, but yeah, pretty pretty yeah. big market, and compared to uh, where I was, and you know, it was fantastic because it was working with big stations, it was working with um, uh, the Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. you know, new organization, yeah. really big um, fan base, big ballpark, uh, nice amenities. So it was kind of that first taste of you know, wow, this is like really nice minor league lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so uh, being there for a year, uh, you know, I, I gained a lot of experience, and then. Eventually, that next season is when, or the next off season, I transitioned to Colorado Springs. They had an opening for a PR director there, um, which I applied with with Tony, and uh, got got to on with their staff. And uh, that's when I kind of found out about this whole revolving musical chair <laughs> situation that uh, we yeah. ended up in today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you kind of go where the job is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, it was weird because I kind of signed up for two jobs at that one moment Right. once I said I'm going to Colorado. Yeah, a lot of people don't see this. If They, they just see the sod poodles of players on the field. Uh, the backstory of that is the build-up to get the team here, the building of the stadium. You were here and putting together a staff. How many months out from the, the start of the real season? So we started the process basically right when I landed in Colorado. So I got in Colorado early January. And I came to not only Amarillo, but the state of Texas for the first time in my life that wow. February. Wow. I think it was February 1st for yeah. that groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. We were out there with uh, Tony, uh, other uh, uh, with the uh, Elmore group, uh, the mayor. Uh, yeah, a great day when we broke ground on that stadium. Yeah, and, and you know, from that moment, I remember having a little, because I think it was only me, Tony, and a couple other staff members mm-hmm. that were from Colorado. I remember just right after that, you know, it was, all right, it's official. You know, we're full steam now, ahead. yeah, full steam ahead. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. we got to now build the staff. We got to now have an operation in mind and get going because it's going to come fast. <laughs> well, let's, let's go back just a little bit because before that happened, we learned that we were going to get affiliated ball here. And then Amarillo was part of this four city mm-hmm. transition of sorts where it was like a, Helena, Montana, I think. They Mm -hmm. lost a team. The team was changing in Colorado Springs. San Antonio was changing. And then we were picking up that additional team. So you find out that's going on. And you said just a few of you were here. How did you, like decide that, hey, I want to go be an Amarillo instead of stay in Colorado Springs. Was it an option you guys had? like, Or did somebody get together and say, hey, we want to tackle this new adventure together? Or how did that come about, the move to Amarillo? So for me, I basically signed on to it from Reno. So I, you know, I basically said, yes, I'm coming to Colorado. And yes, I'm, it was kind of a part of what Tony was hiring for my position was going to transition out. Okay. Regardless. So 
he wanted that out. So um, the other members, you know, there was other staff in Colorado that were also optioned, I believe, if they wanted to go ahead and be a part of the Amarillo project and come out and help build the new team, a new franchise. And I know that, you know, some of our staff that are in Colorado have been there for years and or grew up there and have their lives set there. So it made sense for them to not take a part of, you know, be a part of it and stay in Colorado for, for their rebrand. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, so f- some of others were given the option and, and asked and they agreed. And so we had a handful from Colorado that ended up, you know, taking on the challenge, come out here and have a new life and build a new team and, wow. uh, you know, see, see what we can do. Yeah, I'm sure every offseason is busy, but the offseason of building a new team, you know, an organization from the ground up, so to speak, how hectic was that uh, (laughs) during that offseason? A lot of sleepless nights. (laughs) Uh, I mean, coming into this, I thought that the season was the worst of it because, you you know, you're up early, you're up late. There's really no time to rest uh, until the team really starts to hit the road and even then you're still going crazy because you're setting up for the next homestand. But the fact that, you know, I mean, it was amazing that we can have the temporary office space we had in the city's uh, facility um, building that's adjacent to the ballpark. That was fantastic. But not being in a ballpark and not being able to have the amenities you're used to in a stadium and, you know, be able to organize promotions and have a feel of, you know, distance with the field and you know all all the planning that goes along with that you know we were going off of just our feel of being in the industry for so long and trying to make sure that we had an idea of okay these are the dimensions of the field here's the length of uh the skirts on the field we have to work with that aren't on the plane surface you know here's our gate options for giveaways and you know etc i mean it's and especially tickets with selling season tickets and telling the story of how mm-hmm. the seating is laid out and how that is going to look. And, uh, you know, luckily we got to a point where we can kind of show the landscape of the f- facility to see where the seats would be and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was tough. Yeah. You know, that's it. It was just, it was a lot that we, <clears throat> we've we never experienced. But at the same time, it's that much more gratifying. You know, we got to really have something um, special uh, in common with the community where we're our only goal here is to finish this process so we can give what we've been telling the community mm-hmm. and I'm happy that we, you know from the city to the builders to the architects to everyone involved with the project the fact that we can have a 13 month build like that in some of the weather they experienced yeah. and uh, and you know turn around and have a great opening night and have a Turns out a near perfect season. Yeah. One thing getting toward that, you know, ultimate goal, giving back everything you talked about was you finally had that opening day last year. So all this hard work you guys are doing in the off season, selling the tickets, trying to get the word out, trying to tell people what we're gonna have, even though you haven't fully seen it yet. You finally get a chance to see it that day in April, opening day at Hodgetown. What's going through your mind that you finally had a chance to open this brand new thing from scratch just about up to the public? So leading into the day, you know, at, at wake up, it was a very, very early wake up call for everybody. Um, everyone wanted to make sure that we had everything prepared as much as possible. 
the the beautiful thing about it, I I think I remember it was seventy and blue skies. It, it and was sunny. Like, it was a perfect. It was, it yeah. was just like God shined down on us and said, <laughs> yeah. "You guys are going to have the best baseball day ever <laughs> exactly. for this day." Yeah, exactly. And I I remember right when it you know the weather turned out because of course that's always a worry. You never know in really any of this region in April what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but the fact that it was a, a perfect day. Uh, everyone was ready. I mean, we had, you know, all of our staff was great. As far as every department, we were ready, you know, a week out. We just wanted to make sure that all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. And um, sure enough, right when we opened those gates and, uh, you know, we had our end ready, we knew that, you know, the team would take care of the rest. Yeah. Put on the show. Obviously, it was it was an opening day loss, mm-hmm. but... Uh, <laughs> That didn't stop us, obviously, for for this season. Um, and and following that game, you know, just seeing the crowd and the livelihood and and just the roar of the crowd, yeah. you know, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> we have professional baseball again. Um, you know, it it was pretty surreal for all of us. And and after that, after we closed the gates that night, and and everybody had left, and you know, we we grouped together, and it was a. Uh, it was a nice, successful conversation and a huge sense of relief that, you know, we, we did this, we, we got the day in and, uh, but we knew that, you know, we had seven more games to go yep. for that homestand. We <laughs> had an eight right. game homestand. So yeah. we knew that that was only one. Yeah, <laughs> so, It was pretty remarkable. I know we had a media day. We got to meet a lot of the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can remember going up there and Sam was just trying to get his booth ready and they were still working on the field. And we we're thinking, okay, they're hitting the road tomorrow to start their season. They open this on Monday. Are they going to be ready? And you pull that through with shining colors. What was probably one of the biggest challenges for you this season? Uh, for me, was um, uh, just probably building. You know, on, on the media side of things and everything. I mean, there's so many materials to go along with it. You know, there's the daily game notes we had for every game. There's the roster creation. There's our media guide that we had to create from scratch. You know, 180 page book. Yeah. Um, with bio info, team info, organization info, ownership. Um, and that takes a lot of time because, you know, we're pulling a lot of stats. You know, we're pulling a lot of data. And so I think it was more of just being able to really sync and plan all of those projects to the time frame we had. Because really in the off season, every time you're just turning over for the next year, right. you're building off your template. There was no template this year. Yeah. We didn't have templates. We had to build everything from what we knew uh, and and using our expertise, we had to create that very same thing. It's just with our, I don't know, new new year identity. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you just have yeah. to put in that expertise to, to make sure that you're doing everything the right way and uh, make sure you can do that all on time. We're chatting with Shane Phillips, uh, Director of Public Relations and Baseball Operations for the Saw Poodles. You can find out more about the Saw Poodles online, of course, at sawpoodles.com. You talk about putting that media guide together, but when the games are going on, you're up there in the press box with everybody else. you got that laptop in front of you. And, and a lot of these uh, reports that come out afterwards that we see on sawpoodles.com come from you. And uh, a lot of the interesting facts and stuff that you put together. So during the game itself, you know, you're not just sitting back watching all the work that you've done. You're working just as hard as anybody else. Tell us a little bit about your day-to-day operations with the Saw Poodles. Let's do in-season. Okay, yeah. 
So uh, typical day, you know, we'll we'll get in there um, mid morning. You know, probably start around nine, uh, and then right off the get go, it's uh, you know, because at the at the end of the day, when when we're in season, I'm I'm providing whatever the team needs. I'm the main contact between our front office and the clubhouse. So uh, usually I'll start the day off by. Uh, will provide stat packs. So stat packs just basically encompass various amount of statistics on our team, on the opposing team, from pitching to hitting to tendencies and certain situations that that these um, teams have stats in. And I'll provide that to both clubhouses right off the bat. Following that, we'll usually get going straight up on, on our game notes, which is kind of those interesting facts of either the previous night or in general in the season to really keep interest on you know, why is uh, what our guys are doing, why is all that important? Um, we'll do game notes, which also encompasses a lot of different stats. Um, and that's really mostly for media purposes to make it kind of easy summary on their season as of that date. And, uh, and you know, from there, it's a lot of little things. There's usually some things in the clubhouse that are needed attention to, whether it's our clubhouse manager needing something or if it's our manager, Philip Wellman, needing something or some players needing something. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of that main connection for all of them. So if it's something they're expecting as far as a package, that's going to come straight through us. If it's food, they're getting delivered, that's coming to us. Cause you know, there's no way down to the clubhouse so, other right. than through right. us. So, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of different things that just come up on a day-to-day basis. We just have to be ready to, to react and help out. Uh, you know, usually in the mid afternoon, we're saving those slots for any media interviews. Uh, if we do pre, pre, uh, batting practice interviews um, or anything in-house we want to do as well with our players uh, to do for in-game entertainment or social media content. So, I mean, there's a lot going on and uh, that's only on that specific side of things. You know, there's also all the organizational side of things. If we need to put a press release out, if we're doing a, anything new with promotions or if we're doing anything new with community efforts, that's all encompassed throughout the day. So it's kind of finding those Fifteen to thirty minutes, win, you know, windows that you could dedicate those times toward, and uh, and then uh, once the game gets going, uh, obviously it's just tracking what's happening in the game. You know, we'll we're in charge of the recap as far as what we sent out post game, as well as some of those fun facts of the night that we could, uh, you know, keep things interesting for the team aspect, and uh, and really from there that that's when we call it a night, and then we start it all over the next day. <laughs> Well, you talked about press releases, and you've released a couple big ones uh, here in the offseason, uh, building off of the great success of the first year. We learned that we're going to have the All-Star Game here, the Texas League All-Star Game, and we joined the uh, Copa de la Diversión initiative this year with the uh, Pointy Boots Day Amarillo. Uh, getting all of that set up, how involved were you in that process? Hey, we want to host the game this year. Was that something the league approached with, or that's something you guys had to reach out for to try to get? So you, for one, yeah, you have to show some interest, um, and obviously, you know, we had all the interest in the world to do that, you know, following one year in. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's more in, in uh, Tony's communication corner and with him, the board, uh, the league board, as well as the president. So, you know, typically it goes north to south. Um, so Midland hosted it in um, the, the previous season before Tulsa and then Tulsa this last season. And then now that we had the, uh, the honor of being able to host it, um, you know, and, and it's a lot of factors. It's it's 
you know, uh, obviously every community wants it. And, and I believe every community that other than us at this point, the text league is hosted, but, uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot of different things that, you know, you have to show that you are an active community, that you are, you do have the, um, amenities to be able to host such a large event because, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't just us and another team. This is our team. And this is all seven other teams, as well as those executives, as well as, their players as well as potentially those um, parent affiliates you know any representatives coming out so we are bringing a lot of people into town for this and it's, it's really exciting to uh to be able to have announced that especially after a season like we just yeah. had yeah. it was pretty much a no-brainer for for the league to really say yeah let's let's put this in amarillo and see how fun it can really get you talk about an active community and sure enough uh Amarillo and the surrounding area, just incredible support of the team uh, this past season. And uh, there's a big Hispanic community here in Amarillo. And the fact that you guys have always, uh, at least early on, and will continue to do so going forward, have been involved in the community for various things. You joined this Copa de la Diversión initiative, and we're now the pointy boots de Amarillo for a few home games. Tell us about why you think that was an important thing for Amarillo to do to hop into the Copa de la Diversión initiative. You know, the the important part about that initiative is, is you know, it's connecting in into a whole other community that, you know, may not actively engage into baseball or you know attend baseball games um but the the thing about minor league baseball and really baseball in general is how diverse it really is so you know i always tell people our team was uh we had 56 total players this last season and 20 of our players were from spanish-speaking countries wow wow so That's 35% amazing. of our team overall out of all the players we had from Spanish speaking countries Spanish is their first language and you know th- with that said we also had other guys from uh we had Kazuhisa Makita yeah. mm-hmm. you know from mm-hmm. Japan we had yeah. uh you know guys from Cuba we had guys from Venezuela we had guys from Me- we had uh Munoz from Mexico coming mm-hmm. in and throwing 104 miles an hour you know yeah. so we <laughs> We had a lot of different representation, and, and that's the thing is that baseball is so diverse nowadays. It It's expanded so far. And um, this initiative that, you know, it's not mandatory by any means. It's something that we wanted to participate in, and all teams that are in, which there are 92 total teams now coming into this season, that, you know, they engage and say that we'd like to participate. And, you know, after, after doing a lot of the research, you know, it was a few of us in the office that really – wanted to dive in and see why why is the Hispanic heritage here such a historical thing what what made it grow so significant here and what we found obviously is is the railroad yeah so mm-hmm. with the Santa Fe railroad uh, you know a lot of laborers were brought from Mexico and uh, they were brought to help build the railroad out here and they you know eventually brought their families here created families here created that entire community. And that's lasted now for generations. And um, after speaking with um, countless people that still live in the barrio, the reason why they live in the barrio to this day, because that's their community. That's where mm-hmm. their families, that's where the generations of family have always lived. And that's their home. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of appreciation for them, you know, respecting their community and how active they are in engaging to rebuild and renovate their their community with their lighting project that they're yeah. doing their uh their art yeah. uh contest that's happening 
mm-hmm. in January. Um, you know, there's a lot of awesome things that are happening in that community that we want to be part of and help spread word and help help our neighbors because they're truly our neighbors, you know, just across the railroad from us. Yep. Right. If there wasn't a railroad, we can walk straight across <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we're, we're hanging out. So, you know, just, we, we want to invite them in our home just as we like to be invited into their home. Um, and, and we really just want to engage on that side because like I said, you know, it's just that neighbor aspect. Now, uh, the community, it seems to be a big uh, deal of the sod poodles and each individual. Uh, Tony has moved here. You now reside here in Amarillo. Uh, that's a big deal, that you're part of the community. One of the things I think you do really well with the sod poodles is you make it family-friendly and affordable. Why was that so important for this team to do those things, like Wednesday or a $7 seat and you know, food specials on certain days. Yeah, great, great question. I mean, as a whole, that that's minor league baseball structure. But even deeper than that, uh, our ownership group, Elmore Sports Group, all family-owned group, uh, they're the largest ownership group in minor league baseball. Uh, the reason why they're so successful is because they live that model. And uh, the thing that struck me most when I joined in with this ownership group, when I joined in with Colorado Springs, I remember... Uh, Dave Elmore, the the patriarch of mm-hmm. of the family, he he told a story on why he's in baseball, why he he's an owner, especially in minor league baseball. And he, I think he was practicing law in Chicago, and originally he had an opportunity to to be a part owner of the Chicago Cubs. Oh wow! And I know you'll like this, Tom. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, so he he. he was approached or had some sort of an opportunity, but at the time he just couldn't afford that. Right, it's just too too big money to you know invest into at that time in his life. And sure enough, down the road, sooner or later, he found out about minor league baseball. And um, one thing that I know about Dave is that he cares a lot about people. And when he knew about minor league baseball and their model of small grassroots grassroots community uh, giving. Uh, you know, that that's what he was all about. And he sort of sure enough, he got invested. He um bought the uh Hawaii Islanders at the mm-hmm. time, which were in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> played at Aloha Stadium. And uh as you can imagine, travel wow. wasn't necessarily the easiest of no. things. <clears throat> that's a long um, bus trip. Yeah, and, and <laughs> potentially pretty expensive, I've heard. Yeah. yeah. And so that's actually what how Colorado Springs came to be is the the Islanders were transitioned to Colorado Springs, mm. where uh, a new stadium was built in 1988. And um, you know, since then, obviously, the, their uh, their ownership of teams has grown. Where they own uh, a team at every level. Yeah. And um, but but that's the thing that struck most with with me in this ownership group is the fact that you know Dave came on, and I think it was actually at the groundbreaking that he spoke about his time and, and his effort in minor league baseball, where he explained that thing about minor league baseball is that you can invest in these communities. You can land in a community, you can get gain the community's trust, you can, and you can give them an affordable option yeah. of entertainment. And, you know, it's not necessarily about baseball, it's about entertainment. Right. Yeah. And so um, Tony, he's been within the Elmore family for many years, known the Elmores for many years, and uh he lives and breathes that same motto. So he, he knows exactly their heart and he knows, and he, he's molded along the way to that exact, uh, structure where, um, anything we do, it's always community oriented. It's always family friendly. It's always affordable. Just like our 
you know, cheapest ticket, $6 anytime, any game. Most expensive ticket, $18. Yeah, you're not... <laughs> You're not breaking the bank, you know. Wow. You could splurge on maybe a Saturday night, get a few $18 tickets, yeah. really enjoy yeah. those. Yeah. Maybe get a nightly suite or a concourse suite. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the games come out on Tuesdays for two-hour tickets. Yeah. Thirsty Thursdays, you know, whatnot. Veterans it's, Day on Monday. Exactly. Yeah, with, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, first responder and, yeah. and military discount tickets. Yeah. Um, you know, children's tickets are discounted as well. So uh, we just try and make it very... Uh, very easy for, for families to be able to come out to the park and enjoy that experience. And just a reminder for people that maybe didn't quite figure this out the first year, sodpoodles.com, get your tickets there. Yes. Don't go yeah. to one of those third-party those sources because you're going you're gonna to pay. And we're actually experimenting with this. So the standing room ticket, $6, like you're saying. On a uh, StubHub, they were 24 Yeah. So they were four times higher for the same wow. ticket. And so you got people going on social media, all oh, these tickets are ridiculous. How can you afford this? Well, we told you from the get-go to go to sawpoodles.com and get your t- So next year when you're doing that, box office or sawpoodles.com. And and we're chatting with uh, Shane Phillips, uh, Director of Public Relations and Baseball Operations for the Sawpoodles. And this is a great segue because we're talking about the community involvement. There is a big thing that may potentially happen in 2021. The, uh, the PBA with the MLB and the MILB is set to expire and Major League Baseball is talking about this massive contraction of 42 teams. Uh, now, first of all, Amarillo is not on this list. Amarillo seems to be okay. But there are, a, like I said, 42 teams on this list, uh, including Colorado Springs, where you were just at. Uh, the uh, Rocky Mountain vibes are on this list. If they end up moving forward with this, 42 cities are going to lose their affiliated Major League Baseball team. You worked at an organization uh, you just talked about there with the uh, High Desert Mavericks, a team that is now contracted. They're gone. All these teams potentially going to be gone from their cities. What? How big of an impact would this be on these some of these smaller cities if they were to lose their minor league baseball team and just get an independent league team instead? Yeah, I mean this this is astronomical. You know, this is the biggest shift potentially in professional baseball that's happened in decades you know this is going to change the entire landscape of these communities that are going to be potentially affected uh you know like you said 42 communities you know if you if you think of 42 amarillos Mm. you know think of that laid out and having each team in in each of those amarillos taken away you know just think of how big of an impact that really is um so you know it it's you know, it's obviously early in the process. Uh, a lot of articles coming out about you know just the uh, the conversations that have taken place with Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Um, you know, I really hope come twenty twenty that these conversations get a little bit more uh, laid out and 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 there's a different plan maybe put in place to assist. But uh, myself being a part of a team that has been contracted out of a community, right, and seeing a fan base that understood they were losing a team and you know thinking back on those memories that you've uh, had built up over the years season tickets taking your kids when they were little to the games just building those experiences memories it's it's tough and especially 42 communities and some of these very historic baseball communities that have had, have had baseball since any of us were on this earth. Let's see. And just looking at this uh, this possible list, this is off of a ballparkdigest.com. Um, the Burlington Bees, 
that's a that's a team I'm familiar with. The Chattanooga Lookouts. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a, a yeah. everyone knows that logo. You yeah. know the C with the eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yeah, these are teams that have not just roots in their town, but roots in minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, at this point, like you're saying, none of this is official. There's still time to you know, they got a whole other year of things yeah. being the way they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hopefully, they can uh, they cannot come to this. They can find another way to to go about achieving what. Major League Baseball wants to achieve and not get rid of these uh, teams in these communities. Just, it, I just can't imagine that. living there and now all of a sudden something that was big because you talked about the community involvement. Mm-hmm. You guys are now, you're not in Amarillo and then you're gone mm-hmm. at the end of September. You're here. Mm-hmm. That's You're in studio right now because you live here. Exactly. <laughs> right. and you guys are still doing stuff in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Ruckus is going out at the hospital or and I'm you know food bank holiday time coming up. I'm yeah. sure you guys are going to be involved a lot with helping the community there. Yeah, we have our we have our cans getting delivered I think today. See, oh, there cool. you go. Yeah. So yeah. I mean j- just I just can't imagine and, and I just hope for all these towns that this doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean and and a lot of teams uh you know have have been voicing their opinion and we're yeah. we're right there with them, you know, uh, despite us not being necessarily on this list, you know, we're supportive of all minor league baseball you know and and these communities that have built the relationships they've had you know these are other communities that have had relationships with their city that have built them new stadiums they've had they have newer amenities Uh, some of them are older amenities but are willing to invest and start to get more you know modern day type amenities for you know the guys so Mm -hmm. it's um it's going to be a long next year for for these conversations and uh, you know it, it's it's going to be interesting to see. And I think I think the fact that you know, minor league baseball, it, it's 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 just one strong voice. Yeah. And these communities, obviously, they're already raising their voices. And I know that some of these are taking it even, you know, further into the, like the you know their local senate level, and yeah. explaining the actual impact they really do make on maybe not just the community because you got to understand some of these communities that these towns are in are three times smaller than Amarillo or five times smaller than Amarillo. I mean, there's small towns that are really uh, using that as their main source of entertainment and community drive and, um, um, you know, just something very positive to have in their community. So I'm looking forward to seeing the the conversations growing. And I personally just can't see how this can be the, the way out. Well, Shane Phillips, uh, Director of Public Relations and Baseball Operations for the Saw Poodles, thank you very much for joining us today on the yeah. podcast. Uh, we, we talk a lot during the year, but haven't actually <laughs> had you on yet. It's yeah. been a lot of fun uh, chatting with you today. Before we let you go, what do you got coming up? What, what's next on your agenda? We got winter meetings. Are, are you heading out of town? You going back home for a little bit? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll be uh, I'll be heading out of town. Uh, Early December, get get back home for a little bit, uh, see some family, and enjoy a little relaxation. And uh, uh, winter meetings are right around the corner, so it kind of helps that it's right near my hometown. Yeah, perfect. So <laughs> I'll be, right? be going home, going right to winter meetings from there, and then spend a little bit more time with family after. And yeah, and then, you know, obviously just the holidays around the corner, just getting to enjoy that time. You know, that's really our only off time for right, us yeah. in the office yeah. is, is uh, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. So, Looking forward to uh, getting to the end of the year and then, you know, kicking off a good 2020 for Sod Baseball. 
Well, 2019 was amazing. There's no doubt about it. It exceeded my expectations. I think a lot of people could not have imagined what 2019 was going to be like, Mm -hmm. and it was just amazing. And and Shane, you were a big part of as to why it was the way it was. And Shane Phillips, we appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. We're lucky enough to have uh, Tony Enzer and the guys in the Elmore Group have bought a first-class organization here. Uh, And the key to that is first-class people like you who care about the product, who care about the community. And we just have to say thank you. It has been a a boom for us. It really has. You can see the tide turning. You can see the pride in the community of of the Amarillo Sod Foodles of the great facility and just we thank you no it's 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 our pleasure and you know we can only thank it right back to the community without the community we don't have soft pools baseball Shane Phillips, Director of Public Relations and Baseball Operations. Uh, you can find out more about the Sod Poodles at their website, sodpoodles.com. Once again, go get your tickets there. Yes. Don't go to StubHub or yeah. whatever the hell else they have to yeah. get tickets at. Yeah. Just go straight to the Easy. source and get and get your 6 to $18 tickets and, and have a good time there. This has been another Sod Poodle Spotlight on the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. I'm Tom Young. I'm David Lovejoy. Going to take a week off next week with yes, Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving happy holiday. Thanksgiving to everybody. We will come back uh, couple things that we're lining up in the first part of December that should be a lot of fun so just be on the lookout on our Facebook and our Twitter at Tom Talks BBP to find out what's going on there we will talk to you again soon everybody have a good Thanksgiving holiday